the reading tonight is from Jonah, and there's going to be verses from all four different chapters. It's on page 927 of the Pew Bible. Starting in chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Moving to verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Going to verse 10 in chapter 2. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Going to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Let's just mute that. So, for those that don't know me, my name is, is Tim. And I first joined the back row of St. Saviour's some 17 years ago. Uh, the evening service is where it all began for me. And um, yeah, I've got my eyes on the back row because that's where it all kind of started. What I love about St. Saviour's in the back row is that God still moves there. I think it's where every great journey starts. It's taken me 17 years, but I finally made it to the front row. So, you know, happy moving. Um, I love a good prophetic dream. And um, this morning I woke up having had a dream. It was a slightly unusual one. 
I had a vision of myself just walking into church late. And I had these long black dreadlocks and this sort of leery gold football seat on. Um, but you'll be pleased to know I decided that was not of the Lord. Um, right, on that note, I don't know how your afternoon has been. If you're like me, I'm actually quite weary. I've got young kids, I've had a big roast. And um, it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it, to kind of come before God. What excites me from what I've heard tonight is just that God is moving. He's moving within you and he longs to meet with you tonight. Do you believe that? Do you? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the stories that have already been shared. We thank you for your word that's been spoken into so many lives. Lord, as we gather in your stillness, may you help us to, to hear your word, not mine. Help us to hear your word. Help us to be humble enough and open enough to receive your precious word, the word of life. May we find encouragement tonight. May we find, may we find change. May we find transformation. And may we, may we go from here tonight a different person, having grown more in your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Tonight I'm going to be sharing some thoughts about my heartbeat, um, a little bit of Jonah's heartbeat. Then we're going to be looking at how interruptions sometimes play out, particularly in the life of Jonah and how we respond to them. The story of Jonah is close to my heart. Our middle child, our eldest son, is called Jonah. Um, we named him that largely because we just felt a kind of a stir to give him that name. Um, but for those who are curious, it means dove or peace. Now, when we went public on his name, that kind of joyous moment when you say, hey, this is Jonah, um, we actually got quite a bit of critique, quite a bit of pushback. In many cultures, the name is seen to be unlucky or simply a poor choice. You know, so that heavy on my mind, I set about kind of really trying to study um, the book of Jonah, you know, to justify to myself and to others that we hadn't just ruined my son's life, but actually we'd made a good choice. And actually, do you know what? The more I learn about the book of Jonah and this character, the more I love him, the more I love the story, and the more I resonate my life with his. So I hope this evening I can just give you a little bit of a glimpse, you know, just of the, the majesty of that story. Right. I'm going to start with looking at my heartbeat. So this last year, Mike has been challenging us as a church to think about what our heartbeat is. If you're like me, it's been quite a struggle. Ever since I, um, I graduated, I've not quite known what my call is or is not. I can best describe it like looking at one of those pictures that has another picture behind it, like the one on the screen, I don't know if you've seen them. It's the most frustrating thing if you cannot see the second image. You know it's there, you're looking at it, but you just can't see through it. And it's even more annoying when someone else comes along and they can see it. The other month, um, John Peters came to our church and he said that we need to find the song of our heart. When I heard that, I just did a bit of an Andy Murray. It's just one of those, you know, there is no song playing over me. I'm not musical. This makes no sense. This just sounds like church language. You know, I'm thinking it was a complete waste of time, but, but being a generally compliant person, I listened on. And then to my surprise, 
these sort of images just came to mind and suddenly just out popped this sense of understanding and actually a realization that God had given me a song. Not a lyrical one, not a musical one, but just a clear message that had just been repeating over my life. Now, being a bit of an introvert and a, a man of little emotion, I did a big fist pump on the inside. Yeah, I've got a song. But on the outside, I was, you know, poker face. No one had a clue left or right of me. It was just an inner thing that was going on. So to try to let you in a little bit on what I was feeling, there's a few images, hopefully, coming up behind me. These are some of the pictures that I had. The first picture is of a boat. This is of a memory I've got from the age of about 13, when a Hungarian pastor prayed for me. And he gave him this picture that he saw me standing on this boat. And for most of my life, that image has stuck with me. I've been waiting for that moment of when I go on this big voyage, but it hasn't really come. And then last year, I was listening to Jordan Sang talk about dreams and how he can interpret them. And he shared that actually often a, a boat means safe passage. And I thought, yeah, I think that's for me. God has blessed me with safe passage. How fortunate am I? The second image of two hands clasped together in a position of prayer. Well, that is a memory I've got from spring harvest. I was about 19 years old and I was receiving some prayer ministry. And this guy was praying for me and he shared that I was going to be a father and that that was going to be a significant part of my life. Well, at that time, that was the one thing that I really wanted. It meant more to me than anything. As chance would have it, I came out of the arena and the first person I met was my friend Lucy. We now have three children together. You know, I, I did not mean for that to be a chat-up line, but, but there you go. Um, the, fourth pit, sorry, the third picture is of a little girl called Ruby. She's a girl that I met whilst being a missionary out in Peru. She's about two years old in that picture. And she would come to us on a Saturday morning. Her story was that she didn't have a father. She spent most of her week tied to her mother's back as she sold goods. And she would come to us with her sisters, tired, dirty, without nappy or basic supplies. And to my great surprise, she just felt drawn to me. I don't know why. She didn't want to play, she just wanted to sit and rest and sleep in my arms. And in those moments, I think, she found security. She found love. And I think maybe she was after a sense of a father's love for her. And in those moments, God melted my heart. I got a greater sense of God's love for me, but more importantly, God's love for others. In that moment, I really got a sense of what it meant to be adopted by Christ. We are all adopted by him. He loves us so much. The fourth image of a green shoe just popping up where it shouldn't be in a drain. That reminds me of a time about five or six years ago. I was invited to go and speak at a men's breakfast in Bournemouth. I didn't know anyone there. I, um, I woke up that morning and just felt a sense that I was supposed to share something about the Father heart of God. As I kind of shared the message, it seemed to go okay. And at the end, um, it turned out one of the guys there was severely hard of hearing. He had a real um, hearing impediment. He normally just turned up to eat the breakfast and to see some friends. He never heard the talks. That morning, he heard every word. What was more amazing was it turned out that this guy was an orphan. He was in his 50s or 60s. 
He just needed to know God's love for him. But more importantly, he needed to know that Father's love for him. That God would send me to this random group of people just to speak into that one person's life. That's the God we have. With these and other flashbacks, I heard the song playing within me, a steady drumbeat of God's love for me, and an overwhelming sense or tune of just the Father heart of God. When I tune into God's song, I know that I stand on holy ground. My every breath, a reminder of his presence within me. It's then that I feel alive. It's then that I know the reason that I was made. When I see the world as God intended, not through my eyes, but with a sense of hope, with love, with joy, with expectation. I have some personal experiences that have made God's song and his love real to me. But actually, my song is just the tune of God's message. It's there for us all. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Rob Bell believes this song is always playing. And the question is actually not so much, what is your song? But are you in tune with the song? God is a God of generosity, of love, of forgiveness, of sacrifice, and so much more. And we need to know that for ourselves. Jesus came into the world so that we could tune into him. He was love incarnate. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. At this point, I want to do something a bit different. I just want to pause. I want to speak some words of God's song over you. The words are largely taken from the, from the book of Psalms. And if you feel comfortable, I just encourage you to close your eyes and just receive them as if God was saying them to you, to you in a personal way. And I'm going to say a short prayer just afterwards. So I say to you all, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your inmost being was created by a loving, heavenly Father. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows you, all of you. He loves you. He adores you. He cherishes you. He sent his one and only son to die for you so that, you could be, so that he could be in a relationship with you, forgiving everything that gets in the way of a relationship with him. Dear Lord Jesus, may you help us to receive these words today and each day of our lives. May we know the hope, the love, and the joy that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Time to look at the life of Jonah. 
Here was a man who I think was in tune with God's song. He knew what it was to walk with the Father, to hear his voice, and to be his ambassador. Jonah was born in Nazareth. He was the prophet of his time. And when Jesus was a boy, he must have heard of him because he, he mentions him in the, in the Gospels of Matthew in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 40. He was God's chosen messenger. A huge honor and privilege. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 25, it records that he was famous for preaching a blessing over Israel, that its borders were going to be expanded. That was a nice message to preach. He was obviously an excellent communicator and had a fantastic reputation. He was a man who I think had a clear sense of his heartbeat to love and to serve God and the people of Israel. He had found his rhythm in life, you know, using his gifts and his passions that God had given him. He was someone who you might describe as having found his vocation in life. But then all of a sudden, boom, God interrupts his plans and he calls him to something new. In chapter one, verse one, we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Clearly, Jonah was familiar with God and God with him. In verse one, it says that God's word came to Jonah. It didn't come to anyone else. It came to Jonah. God loved Jonah and he was hand-selecting this man to be his disciple and his prophet. He could have chosen anyone, but he chose Jonah. He could have given up on him, but he didn't. He persevered out for him, out of love for him, like a father would a son. Jonah had been shaped and trained by God for this very call. He may or may not have known that, but one thing that he did know was the word of the Lord. He knew that sending him to Nineveh was something that his God would do. Just when Jonah was feeling at ease in his ministry, God decides to throw him a curveball. And what was his response? Well, he ran away. The question is why? Why did Jonah run? Well, there's a few possible explanations for this. The obvious one is that Jonah was afraid. Nineveh was an evil city. It was the capital of Assyria. And um, the Assyrian Empire spanned about 750 years. It started off small, but it, but it grew out of very cruel and very brutal means. The prophet Nahum described the city as the bloody city. And in the book of Nahum, God describes the people as vile. It was a bit like being sent to modern day Syria or Iraq. Who would want that call? Would you? I think if I'm honest, I'd have been trying to ignore the call. I'd have put my head down and tried to busy myself with something else until it passed. Now Jonah would not have been alone in acting out of fear or self-preservation. After Jesus was arrested, Peter denied that he knew him three times. When God challenged Moses to go and take a challenge to Pharaoh, he did all he could to resist the call and he sought help from a friend. 
But David Pawson challenges this assumption. If Jonah was so afraid, if he was so, you know, so after preserving his own life, why was he so willing to be thrown into the sea and his apparent death? Actually, I think in chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah gives us the answer. We read that Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew that God would potentially show love and forgiveness on the people of Assyria, and he could not get his head around God's grace. Indeed, Jonah had previous experience of this. In the example I shared earlier from two kings, well, that coincided with the rule of King Jehoiakim II. He was the king of Israel, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And much to Jonah's surprise, God sent Jonah to give him a message. But rather than give him a message of condemnation, he sent Jonah to bless the king. And rather than get better, the king got worse. So I think Jonah may well have concluded that his mission trip to Assyria could end equally badly. So in effect, he thought he knew better than God. And he could not cope with anyone taking advantage of God's mercy. Jonah wanted to be the prophet that went to Nineveh and said, God is going to destroy you because you are evil people. But this was a season of God's love and mercy. The prophet Nahum would be the one that got to do that 150 years later. I think the book of Jonah is actually quite uncomfortable because it's not a story about lukewarm faith. This is all about the pursuit of a God-centered life. Here comes the challenge. What would you do if God rocked your boat? Or perhaps some life event occurred that changed everything for you. Perhaps you can resonate with Jonah at this point. God may not be calling you to a war zone or to an evil city or to change career, but he might be calling you to something new, however big or small. As we walk in a relationship with Jesus and follow the lead of his Holy Spirit, we are all going to have these moments at some point to varying degrees. And the question, friends, is how will you respond? Or perhaps, how have you responded? This was Jonah's great leap of faith. When Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water, he had his eyes fixed on Jesus. But as soon as he started to dwell on what he was doing, he began to sink. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. This is much easier said than done. And I think at this point, Jonah could not see beyond his own understanding. And so he attempted to sail away. But God had other plans. 
He would not let him go. He was determined to see his will done through the life of Jonah. Now Jonah eventually agreed to go to Nineveh. And there he did an incredible job, a remarkable job, that a Jewish prophet could go to a pagan and foreign city and see such transformation that these bloodthirsty people turned from their ways and submitted back to God. That is surely a miracle on a huge proportion. But in the book of Jonah, it gets very little attention because this is not a book that wants to focus on that message of salvation. This is a book that is all about God's pursuit, patience, and perseverance with one struggling, non- one struggling believer. God went to extraordinary lengths to see his work win out through one man. In chapter four, it focuses on Jonah's response to God showing mercy to Nineveh. He was angry. I mean, seriously angry. In verse three, he says, Lord, take my life away. At this point, I think it's clear that he wasn't in tune with God. Yes, he was in relationship with God, but actually he could only hear part of God's song. He had failed to accept God for all that he is, a God of love and compassion. Are you in relationship with God? And have you failed to accept him for all that he is? I would suggest at this point in Jonah's life that some of us might be feeling similarly. You know, as Janie shared in her prayers, unfortunately there are too many stories of horrendous suffering in this world that just spark in me a sense of utter disgust and despair. And time and time again, I'm overwhelmed when I just, I hear these stories of forgiveness, how people have forgiven the seemingly unforgivable and seen such freedom and healing as a result. But I think in, in most cases, this is only possible over a period of time once God has first done an amazing work in their lives. I don't have time to talk more about forgiveness other than to say that I believe we are called not to lean on our own understanding. When we are in God's love and he in us, anything is possible. Colin Smith uh, writes a commentary in the book of Jonah. And he says that just as Christ's work is not complete in us, nor was it complete in Jonah. Now the book of Jonah is an historical account as opposed to a story. And it was likely written by Jonah. It was written not whilst living through the experience, but sometime later. Once Jonah had had a chance to reflect on his experience and the message that God was shaping through his life, through his honest confession, sacrificing his pride and showing great humility. He writes of his weakness and God's strength. I sense that this is a man who having first wrestled what it means to forgive, when looking back can see God's love, his patient love, his redeeming love at work. And I think he understood God's grace in the end. Colin Smith points us to chapter two of Jonah, verse nine, which perhaps sums up what he learned, that salvation comes from the Lord. 
back to me at this point. Since I committed my life to Jesus, my life has taken many different directions. That God has been speaking to me all along the way, I have no doubt. Have I got it right all the time? I don't think so. I think I've got it right and wrong. I felt called to pursue different ventures, to focus my time on different pursuits, to serve in different ways. I've been humbled and I've developed my own experiences that I believe God will use for his glory in the end. I just want to quote Corrie Ten Boone at this point. This was a lady who lived during the Second World War. She had a very different life to mine and to yours. She spent most of her time in a concentration camp. But I think her words are relevant to us today. She said in the book, The Hiding Place, Today I know that such memories are key not to the past, but to the future. I know that the experiences of our lives, when we let God use them, become the mysterious and perfect preparation for the work he will give us to do. Isn't that great? I first heard God calling me towards church ministry when I just graduated. At the time, I received some advice to do whatever I could to ignore that call. Well, I managed that for about 13 years. During that time, I felt a strong call towards business, and I've had some great experiences. But in recent years, I've seen my passions and motivations change to the point where I believe God wants to use my gifts and skills in a new way. I have a des- I've seen a desire to teach and to shape and grow a community emerge. This last year, I felt like I needed to, to test that call or live with the fact that I might have ignored God's attempt to interrupt my plans, to move me from a place of stability, a place of security, a place of certainty, to a slightly less known future. And as it's transpired, this will be my last week in work, the work that I know. From September, I start in theology college and ordination training. I have a new path. Now, we're not all called to work in church, you'll be pleased to know. Thankfully, God has made us all different. He's given us all a unique heartbeat, different skills, different passions, different gifts. But we are all called to love God, to receive his love for us, to receive the freedom that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. If and when, and I think he will, interrupt your life, he may be calling you to follow him in a new way. By breaking into your settled pattern, he wants to draw you out to a new place where you can discover his his grace in a fresh new way. Embracing God's call is never easy. Just look at Jonah. But it's where the pursuit of a God-centered life begins. Amen? Amen. That's the end of what um, what I wanted to share. I think the flavor of tonight, certainly from before I spoke, was that... God wants to move, you know, God wants to meet with us. It's not about my words, it's about his story that he wants to, to share.